DJ and PK brought to you by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson, jazz writer for kslsports.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, our question, having watched the Jazz dismantle the Bulls, win by 25, the kind of stuff they were doing back in January, find a team at or below 500 and crush them, hit the threes, deny all the easy layups, get rid of a bunch of, a slew of just silly, sloppy turnovers that give teams hope, and blow a team out. You see that, do you think the Jazz are back on track, or do you want to see more before you announce something like that? No, I think they're certainly trending back in that right direction. I think they were a little rusty coming back out of the all-star break. So I think it's trending in that direction. I don't think they're going to get back to playing the way they did in the first half of the season. I think that's just an unusually hot stretch that teams tend to go on and and, and not often. But the fact that it doesn't happen often is probably more an indicator that we won't see them get back to that point. But I do think they're probably somewhere in the middle and closer to what we saw last night as being their true identity versus what we saw those first four games coming out of the all-star break. So I want to go back to the Philly loss, and that was frustrating on a number of different levels, obviously. But one of the frustrating parts for me was to see Joe Ingles and, and to an extent, Jordan Clarkson playing very well, but you get down to five minutes to go, and you go back with the starters, and it doesn't necessarily matter how the starters are playing. And I'm looking at Bogdanovich specifically. And then you go into overtime, and so Joe and Clarkson, certainly Joe, uh, they become spectators the last 10 minutes of the game, essentially, because of the fact that they extended five more minutes for the overtime, and that's where I get my other five minutes. My thought is those two in particular have earned themselves the opportunity under the right circumstances that Quint Snyder gets to decide as far as closing games rather than going with a specific formula. How do you view that and what they should do when you get in those situations? Yeah, Quinn's always been pretty rigid in those situations. It certainly changes in the playoffs. He's been willing to, to go out and mix things up depending on certain matchups. And then since that Philly game, we've seen a couple of alterations. There was one where Joe Ingles did stay in. I don't right. remember if it was the Wizards game or, or what it was. And then uh, certainly Rudy Gobert closed the entire fourth quarter and the Jazz went over the Raptors. So I, I do think Quinn Snyder probably agreed with that at that point, too, that, hey, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, what he's doing now is, you know, whether it's a funk or whether it's who he is or whether he's coming back from an injury and it's not going to get better until next year, whatever the problem is, you know, I do think you probably need to be willing to work around that, especially if your goal is to say, hey, we're just being, we're just going to put ourselves in the best situation to win as many games as possible so you can get to the playoffs with the, with the number one seed. It can't be just about kind of defining that rigid identity that you talked about. So when you get to the playoffs, that's what you're going to rely on. Because I don't think the Jazz are set that that is the identity they're going to rely on when they get to the playoffs. I do still think the best version of the Jazz is probably if Boyan Bogdanovich comes back, plays like he started or like he did most of last season, if he can get back to shooting close to 40% from three, and he already is. Uh, but if he can, he's just clearly not having the same impact he did last season. If that comes back, it's worth continuing to give him opportunities to see if you can find that rhythm. But now that we've got, what, 30 games left in the season, right around there, I won't be surprised if, if you do start to see more lineups or more lineup adjustments, even late in games, even if you continue to start Boyan, just to see if there's a different closing unit you need to go with. 
So I'm under the assumption that now that we've seen the Ursan Ilyasova debut in, in what was clearly garbage time, that there will be some effort to work him in the rotation somehow. And whether that's working him into the rotation proper or whether that's, hey, they're going to rest guys down the stretch and so guys are going to take on different roles depending on who's sitting every night, that they got him for insurance. They need to have him play a little bit in case there's an injury or a matchup and a need. How do you think he's going to be used going forward now that he's, he's finally played? I agree with that. I think the concept of that, that, that it would be nice if it was a guy that could step in and plug and play and, and be ready to go if you need him. I don't know if Quinn Snyder's going to be willing to do that because I think you could have made that same argument for Shaq Harrison. And I don't know if Ursan Ilyasova is you know, better than George Niang at this point in his career, so he's not going to jump anybody in the rotation. But you're right if there's an injury or if Boyan for some reason is unplayable come the postseason or you want a little bit better rebounding, which is something Ilyasova does. It's probably ideal to get him out there the best way to do it, and I think Quinn Snyder would tell you this, is you know win games by 25 like you did last night and let him play for six minutes in the fourth quarter. But I do think you could start to see a couple of plug-and-play minutes where, you know, Mieoni's had a few stints where he'll get three minutes at the end of the first quarter and three minutes at the end of the third quarter just to try and get him used to playing with starters and get him used to playing with the other guys in the rotation. The good news is, honestly, Ilyasova should be more plug-and-play in case there's an emergency than a guy like Oni because he's played whatever it is, 800 games, and he's started 400 games, and he's been in the NBA for 13 years. There's just He should have a general sense of what is going to be asked of him, what his best role is going to be, how he can help a team, where you don't necessarily need to carve out minutes from somebody else to get him on the floor. But, but I will be curious if Quinn Snyder starts to find ways to strategically rest some of his players down the stretch so they are a little bit fresher come the, or come the uh, postseason. So one of the things that has plagued the Jazz to an extent has been these slow starts, particularly offensively. And it's hard to put your finger on it, but obviously against the Bulls, that wasn't the case. So I'm wondering if you think it's just about a mindset to make sure that you're ready to go when the game starts. You don't have to necessarily blitz them and be up by 20, but you've got to have some flow early. I do think some of it's trying to get Boyan Bogdanovich involved, and I hate to make it sound like he's this punching bag because he's certainly not playing well again, like I mentioned, but but he's not playing, I think, as poorly as some people think he is. He's just not playing anywhere near as well as he did last season. But I do think there's some you know goal to get him involved early, and he tries to put the ball on the floor, and then he turns it over, and he's not a terrific defender. And when you turn the ball over the way he does, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. He tries to make these weird, long cross-court skip passes, and he dribbles into somebody's leg, and, and you know it ends up as a layup going the other direction. And that not only gives somebody two points, but it takes away your opportunity to get two points. I mean, it really ends up being you know, almost a three- or four-point turnover every single time Boyan touches it when he has those turnovers. And if he's doing it two times, or in the last couple of weeks, it seems like he's doing it basically three times every quarter, uh, you know, that's six points, eight points potentially that, that he's giving up. But I think that's felt like a huge, huge hole at the end of the first quarter where, you know, you're down 29, 23, or 28 to 20. And he's certainly been a part of that. And then other guys, I think, start pressing around and try and make up some of that, that deficit. So I think last night when he only had one, you honestly saw kind of the, the advantage of that. And he didn't particularly play well again. Uh, he didn't play well necessarily in the first quarter. But I do think that's the big issue, honestly, is just turning the ball over and not playing so sloppy and coming out a little more focused, like you mentioned, this attitude that, hey, you know, the game has to be a full 48 minutes. You can't play a good 36 minutes and just an okay 12 to start the game. 
especially now that every team in the NBA is gunning for you, and they're going to be gunning for you because they're going to be so ready to play you in the first quarter because they're excited to play the number one team in the NBA. So how long does that last, and how long before we see teams, and, and I think the Nets could be an example of it, hey, you've already got two of your three stars out. That's established. Now you got to go back-to-back. Uh, you're coming in from the West Coast. Sit, guys. I mean, we're getting to the time of season where the, the teams at the bottom tend to tank. Maybe this new playoff changes it, and maybe that doesn't. I don't know how much it excites the Warriors to be in a 7-8-9-10 game. Uh, where do you think this is going? Because I'm, I'm just not convinced everyone's going to be cranked up this time of year. We've seen a lot of teams mail it in down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to see anywhere near a full-strength Lakers team when the Jazz play them in back-to-back games. And, and maybe, you know, if LeBron is back, maybe he plays one of those two games but doesn't play both. I think you're right. I just, you know, t- teams aren't out there trying to win every game down the stretch. Some teams are. The Suns probably should be. The Jazz probably should be because there's going to be an advantage to them being younger and playing at home when it comes to the playoffs. But the Clippers know they can win anywhere. The Lakers know they can win anywhere. Denver should probably have a little bit of confidence that they can play well, though they've never been super consistent. Even you know last season they were as good as they were late, but they weren't that, that good early in the season. So I, I do think you're going to start to see some of that a little bit more. The teams that are going to be most confident are Brooklyn, who you talked about, uh, and then, of course, both Los Angeles teams. Uh, I'll be curious how the rest of the West handles it because, you know, there's just not a lot of separation now. I mean, Dallas is fighting to prove that, you know, Luka's an MVP candidate and Wong's in the playoffs every year, and they probably should be, but haven't played great this year. I think Golden State would like to make it back this year, so they're not going to rest guys down the stretch, I don't think. I think they're going to make a real push to try and get in there. San Antonio would probably like to make it, but let's see what happens in the next 48 hours if they trade DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge and are, are happy to just fall back. So, but I, I'm with you. I don't think the Jazz are going to get good teams trying to bring playoff performances in the second half of the season. You might get some of these younger teams or bad teams trying to prove themselves. But the Jazz have, you know, outside of the Wizards and maybe the Pelicans a couple of weeks ago, they've done a pretty good job proving that they can dismiss those teams and, and handle those teams even when they bring a good effort. So since the Philly game in which the two players got fined, the Jazz have taken 262 free throws versus 99 in the six games for the opposition since Gobert and Mitchell had their outbursts. You think that's more than a coincidence? No, I mean, I think that's why you do it, and I think it, it, it works. I think it matters. I think you have to be willing to go out and fight for yourself, and you know, maybe Boyan Bogdanovich needs to do it now because he, he seems to get really frustrated as he tries to get calls at the rim and, and doesn't get them, so maybe he needs to go out there and, and earn a fine or two, but uh, no, I think it matters. I think it's a good thing to do. I think you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and say that, hey, we're not getting a good whistle. We get contact at the rim. And, and you know, Donovan Mitchell shot 16 free throws the other day. You, you've got to back it up by being willing to continue to attack. You have to put the reps in a situation where they do have to call those fouls. But, yeah, those are those are good fines. I think that's that's going to be a, a very good uh, purchase for, for both Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell down the stretch of the games uh, to finish the season where they are getting the free throw line more and, and it makes your life a little bit easier. It gets you to that free throw line, and, and, and that's where you need to be to be efficient. And Donovan Mitchell could certainly use an, you know, a boost in his efficiency as, as it's kind of dropped off midseason. So I think those are valuable. I think that was probably a smart time to do it. You knew people were watching because it was the number one team in the East and the number one team in the West. And you were getting down to the All-Star break. I think, you know, it, I don't want to say it was planned like that, but I think they certainly understood that, hey, something needs to change or they want to see something change, and this is a good opportunity to call for that. So 
I'm interested in your previous answer about the teams that know they can do it and can kind of turn it on and turn it off and the other teams that can't. And I'm with you on the Lakers. I'm not sure I'm with you on the Clippers, though, because you know Kawhi's been impressive and he's won two titles with two clubs, and I think uh, most of the NBA assumed that he would elevate the Clippers uh, right to the edge of that level if you know if the Lakers denied him, so be it. But at least they'd be right there, and something isn't right. They've gone out in the second round of the playoffs. They've pretty much blown the team up around him, fired the coach, uh, changed a lot of players, and now they're fourth, and something's still wrong. And I'm wondering if it isn't the talent thing because there's too much fantasy basketball. He's talented, but he is clearly one of the quietest. The the when it comes to being a loner in the NBA, he's one of the best examples. Maybe he's the best example. And so there isn't the leadership, there isn't the camaraderie. It seems clear that the Clippers missed that last year and that they're missing it this year. How big an issue is that in your mind? How much was he a product of he was in really strong organizations and cultures in San Antonio and Toronto, and now the Clippers are a little more in flux and they need more leadership out of him, and Serge Ibaka seems to have made this clear. Where are they? Where are they headed? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you look at some of the leaders they've had around them whether it was Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Manu Ginobili or Kyle Lowry, who's a very underrated leader and was certainly the kind of the key factor on that team as far as having a voice and being somebody with the Raptors that was going to you know make them believe they could win a championship. Kawhi's good enough to get you there. But, yeah, you probably need somebody to rally around. And Paul George has proven he's not bad. He likes to talk a lot. He has huge performances. He's very good. But he clearly has issues where he disappears for stretches or the game isn't as impactful as it looks like it's going to be. And Kawhi's going to do his thing, and he's going to get be very solid and get to, you know, 28 points and be one of the best defensive players in the world. But, yeah, for whatever reason, there is some gap there. So I, I think I'm with you. I don't necessarily know if they can flip the switch. They did last night against the Hawks, but they certainly seem to believe they can flip the switch for whatever reason, even though it's the Clippers and they're the most cursed franchise in the NBA. They seem to have this faith that, that they can just turn it on when they need to. So I think that's why they're trying to be aggressive in the next 48 hours. They've been tied to trying to go out and get a guy like Kyle Lowry. They could certainly use that point guard leader that comes in and is a voice and is a fighter uh, that, you know, Patrick Beverly, I think, probably wants to think he is or people want to think he is, but he clearly doesn't have that impact on the floor. So they probably need another piece. We'll see if, uh, you know, the move they made last night where they traded Cavendula to clear up a couple of million dollars is just to get them under the cap and they're done, or if they're going to try and wield and deal and make something else done, uh, or make another deal, I should say, to, to bring in a player that can push them over the edge. But I think you're right. I think they lack, as weird as it sounds, championship-level experience, despite the fact that they have a two-time finals MVP on the roster. Ben, as always, we appreciate a little time. Thanks for dropping by and talking, uh, talking jazz and talking NBA. Thanks, guys. Ben Anderson, jazz writer for kslsports.com.